We all have questions. We all need answers. It is on this program that we get our answers from the Bible. It's time to Ask the Preacher with Rev. Carl Gallops of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Welcome to Ask the Preacher. I'm your host, Mike Bates, and with me in the studio, as he is every Sunday morning, Rev. Carl Gallops, the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Welcome, Carl. Thanks, Mike. Looking forward to another, uh, another great show. I think this one's going to be interesting. They're all interesting. <laughs> Boy, I, I hope so. <laughs> that didn't come out the way I meant it to. This one's going to be particularly interesting. What I want to talk about is how literally we should take the Bible. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, and we'll address them as the show unfolds, that just seem to us to be, ah, come on, it couldn't really happen that way. And so my question to you is, and before I ask the question, let me, let me make a statement that I think people understand, but I want to expressly state it for this show in particular. Much of what I say, I'm just being devil's advocate. Okay, so if I <laughs> so start you don't arguing believe what with you, you say? <laughs> no, if I start arguing with you, it doesn't necessarily mean I. Don't, oh, you're taking the chicken way out now. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm the devil's yeah. advocate on a lot of this. I know, and you do a wonderful job with that. But so. now, and, let, and you actually express the questions that a lot of people have. So, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, I don't have the sense to keep quiet about it. <laughs> I, I'm willing to ask it. Here's, here's my question for today's show: Should the Bible be taken? literally. Mm -hmm. Every word is absolutely, factually, literally true. Well, there are several things that I want to say in answering that. First of all, the Bible, and this is my opinion as a Christian and as a pastor, and as uh, somewhat of a Bible scholar, and what I mean by that is I've been studying it, teaching it, and preaching it for a quarter of a century. I have a master's degree in divinity and theology, uh, 93 semester hours at an accredited seminary. So taking all those credentials, uh, I would consider myself to be somewhat of a Bible scholar. My opinion as a Bible scholar is this, that the Bible is the Word of God. However, it does not always contain only the words of God. For example, we hear other people speaking in the Bible. We hear Satan's words in the Bible. So not every word in the Bible is, is God's words, but the Bible is the word of God. All right. Having said that, now I will also say that uh, there are uh, sections and chunks and accounts and stories in the Bible that I believe are written literally. They're to be taken literally. It is implied by the account that they are literal, even though some of them may be hard to believe. And as a student of the Word and a believer in the Word of God in Jesus Christ, I take them literal unless there's uh, a, a preponderance of evidence to indicate otherwise. Now, there are other uh, instances in the Bible that are clearly, metaphorically speaking, clearly a simile or, or an allegory. Um, I'll give you just one example that comes off the top of my head. Jesus speaking to the crowds. He says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to follow me. All right, now, uh, did Jesus um, uh, uh, 
mean those words literally? Of, of course not. What he meant in the context of that entire uh, speech that he was giving, that entire message he was giving, was that you must immerse yourself in his life and his life within you, and that you must commit your life and sell out your life to him as Lord and Savior. That's what he meant, and that's the context of that passage. But if you lift those words from the Bible, where he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, in fact, it's a historical fact that the early, early Christians were actually persecuted based upon those words in the scriptures that they were were preaching and teaching, they were accused of cannibalism. And they were accused at the Lord's Supper of, of practicing cannibalism. These, were, uh, these accusations were made, of course, by the anti-Christians, the pagans, and those that were persecuting them. But literally, Christians went to their death because they were accused of, of, of being literal cannibals based upon that statement Jesus made. Well, of course that statement is metaphorically speaking, allegorically speaking. So, so, uh, so again, Mike, yes, there are passages that, even though some of them are a little hard to believe, um, I take them literal, I preach them literal, I teach them literal, and, I do, and my philosophy, Mike, is I don't think when I get to heaven that God's going to punish me <laughs> if he says, you know what? Uh, you, you, you took that literal, and I didn't mean for you to take that literal. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but there are other passages that are clearly metaphorically and allegorical. And then there are some, Mike, and these are the ones that are hardest to discern, that could be uh, reasonably argued, intellectually argued, intelligently argued, to be either literal or allegorical, depending upon one's framework and context of, of the matter. For example, the, the, the story of Jonah has been argued among Bible scholars probably ever since it's been in the hands of Bible scholars. Uh, was Jonah really swallowed by a whale, a great fish? And they didn't, I don't think it says whale, it says a great fish. Um, uh, or is that an allegory pointing to something much deeper spiritually than just simply a man swallowed by a, by a great fish? That debate has raged among theologians for, for uh, you know, maybe a couple thousand years here. And, and, and so I, now you say, well, Carl, how do you preach it and teach it? I preach it and teach it literally because it's written that way. But I'm not in, in, opposed. I don't think it's heresy to think that, well, you know, maybe there is an allegory here with, with, with the great and obvious spiritual depth and meaning that you can't hide from the Lord. You can't run from the Lord. Once the Lord has commissioned you and instructed you, it's best to do and go where the Lord says to do and go and to say what he says to say and for his glory. Uh, you can't hide from him. And, uh, and he can arrange uh, life and circumstances so that, uh, so that your life uh, falls within uh, his will for your life. I think that's kind of the synopsis meaning of that entire book. Now, I preach it in teach it literally because it's written as a literal account. But if I get to heaven and God says, hey, you know, that was an allegory, Carl. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I'm going to go to hell for it. I don't think I'm, God's going to punish me for taking literally what was presented literally. But I'm smart enough to understand that it could be allegorical. It could be. And, and I don't think that takes away from the message at all. Do you think that the Genesis story of creation could be an allegory in terms of not whether or not mm -hmm. God created us and created the mm -hmm. earth. I think that's a given. Clearly mm -hmm. he did. Mm -hmm. But did it happen in six 24-hour days? Did mm -hmm. God take 144 hours to create the earth and then rest mm -hmm. for 24 hours afterwards? Or could it have been billions of years? It's just that in the time that the story was written in Genesis, people wouldn't understand the concept of billions of years in this immense universe. Mm -hmm. 
how literal do you think the creation story well, is? Well, you asked me two or three questions. There. I don't know if you realize that. Okay. You asked if the story of Adam and Eve was literal. Then you asked if there was six days were literal. And then you, so, so, uh, but, uh, but see, a lot of people are asking these questions. So thank you, Mr. Devil's Advocate. You're doing a wonderful <laughs> job. Uh, well, Mike, I take the creation story literal for a couple of reasons in the same for one of the same reasons I take the Jonah story literal and the and I preach it and teach it that way and here it and here is one of the big reasons because as a Christian I believe that Jesus is God and I believe when he was on the face of the earth he was God in the flesh okay so so God in the flesh when he speaks he would speak as factually and as truthfully and as clearly as anybody could ever. All right? He is the truth. He's, just, he's not a truth, but the truth. All right. Jesus spoke about Jonah. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days. Okay, now, now he spoke that literally. He talked about Jonah and spoke of it literally. Now, could he have known that it was an allegory and he used it allegorically speaking? And Yes, he could, and that has been argued. But the point I'm saying is Jesus spoke of it literally. He didn't qualify it. He didn't clean it up. He didn't say, no, we know this is an allegory, but here's the teaching. He spoke of it literally. So I take it literally because he said that. Jesus also spoke of the creation literally. He spoke of Adam and Eve. He spoke of the creation. He spoke of the six days of creation. He said, just as God created the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh, he created the Sabbath. So should the, so should the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, etc., etc., etc. He was talking about the Sabbath, but the point is he spoke literally about the creation. So based on that, based on the fact that I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, truly that's all I need. However, there is more. And that is when you do an in-depth study of the book of Genesis and the, and the language therein, you discover that the word used for day in the Hebrew means the same word we use for a 24-hour period day. Not only does it mean that, but then couched within that is, and it was evening, and it was morning, and it was the first day. And it was evening, and it was morning, and it was the second day. And the word day means 24-hour period. It does so not it's couched mean within like, well, back in my day, no. not a real generic no. nebulous t time No, period. not only does okay. it not mean that, but the context doesn't allow it. Because okay. of couching it between evening and morning. And you see, you mm -hmm. just brought up a very important word. I mean, a very important concept. Context. See, because you use the word day, the English word day, and I can say, today is a nice day. Evening and morning of this day is a day. Right? I can say, back in my day, or back in the days of, or I can speak of this century as, you know, in this day and time. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so I've used the same word, but depending upon the context, it, it has a huge difference in meaning. Okay? Well, when you examine the Hebrew text there, the word, the specific Hebrew word used there indicates and denotes our normal understanding of a 24-hour period of day. And then, again, I thank God to make sure we understood this, couched it in the terms of there was evening and there was morning and the first day. Morning and evening, second day, morning and evening. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus speaks of it, and he said, just as God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh he gave the Sabbath, yada, yada, yada. So I, I take all of that into consideration, and I... I as a Christian and as a Bible scholar, I, I have no choice but to interpret that literally. I, there, there's no room in, 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 the, in, in, in that understanding to interpret it allegorically or metaphorically. 
Okay. I want to follow up after the break with a couple of specific questions about Adam and Eve mm -hmm. and the creation. I'll tell you now what they are, and then when we get back from the okay. break, Good. we will get the answer. And that is, Adam was created first, and then was put down to, or while he was sleeping, he wasn't put to sleep, while down sleeping, uh, he was cut open, a rib was taken out, Eve was created. So I want to know, did it really happen with a rib? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, if Adam and Eve had two children, two male offspring, Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel, which means there's only one male offspring. I want to know who fathered, or rather who mothered, excuse me, who mothered, who was the mother of Cain's children. Certainly it couldn't have been Eve. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll get that answer when Ask the Preacher continues. Welcome back to Ask the Preacher. I'm Mike Bates, and with me in the studio, Reverend Carl Gallops, the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Okay, Carl, the ultimate question here for many people that want to know, can the Bible be taken literally? And is the creation story literally true? Is this, one, was Eve really made by God the way Genesis says she was? And two, who did Cain, Adam and Eve's surviving son, who did Cain marry in order to produce offspring, in order to produce the rest of civilization? Okay. Well, the first question, ask it again. It was about the literalness of the creation of Eve. Was Eve literally created with a rib from Adam? Okay. Well, this goes back to kind of my qualification in the very beginning of the program, and that is that the Bible presents it as a literal account. There seems to be nothing else in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that would, that would uh, call it an allegory. Uh, however, upon closer examination of the Hebrew sentence structure there, and, and you know, I, I want our listeners to know this, Mike, Mike you know this, we, we don't pre-prepare for these shows. We don't, uh, I, I don't have tons of books in here and Greek dictionaries and Hebrew dictionaries, so this is just all off the top of my head, and it's off the top of your head as we go with these things. Um, I hope that gives a little interesting flavor to the show, but, but the bottom line, what I'm trying to say is, um, to the best of my recollection, and I can be corrected on this since I don't have my notes in front of me, that word word rib um, can also be interpreted to mean something along the lines of uh, what, what we would use modern terms, uh, the genetic structure, the makeup, the, the, the essence of, of the structure of Adam. So it may not have literally been a rib bone, uh, or it may have been. It, you know, in the English rendering of the Hebrew, it certainly is presented as a rib bone, and it's, and it's presented literally, so I take it literally. But the point I'm trying to make is that with our deeper and deeper understanding of the Hebrew language, um, it, it's very possible that, that the original word spoken by the Holy Spirit to Moses uh, was indicating that there was a, that God literally took the genetic DNA molecular structure of Adam and, and used that to create another human being uh, of, the, of the female sex. And so I, I hope that answers your question. Yes, I, I take it literally. I think that uh, he, he literally created one from the other. That kind of goes to the question of did Adam and Eve have a belly button, which everybody mm -hmm. thinks is a, a funny question. I, I think it's a wonderful question. My answer to that is, um, of course, I wasn't there and I don't know, but my speculation, my best educated guess is they did not have a belly button because a belly button is an indication that an umbilical cord was attached, that you came from a woman, from a womb. And of course, Adam and Eve came directly from the hand of God. Now, they lived to be hundreds of years old, so that belly button 
would that absence of a belly button on only these two human beings would have stood as a testimony and a witness for generations of people for hundreds and hundreds of years that there was a creator God and that 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 is how they got their start as a human race. So I think they didn't have a belly button. But before we answer the second question, do you have any something you want to qualify? Actually, I was going to, about to re-ask the second question. Okay. was, okay, if Adam and Eve did not have belly buttons, we will assume that Cain and Abel did. I would assume they did. And then Cain killed Abel, so there's now three human beings on the planet, Adam and Eve and mm-hmm. Cain, mom, dad, and I son. I think Abel had a wife, too. I think Cain okay, and Abel Okay, well, where both, did she come from? They, so maybe yeah. I should ask an even yeah. broader question. Where did Cain and Abel, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know for yeah. sure that Abel was married before he was slayed in the field, I don't know. Know, yeah. But regardless, let me just make, ask the question in a more broad sense. Where did they get Where their wives? Where did Cain and Abel get their wives? Get their wives? Yeah. Certainly, they, it yeah. couldn't have been from Eve. No. Or could it? I no, don't know. What's, no, what's the answer? No, they were Martians that came here. <laughs> I just, this no, is I just had the to, Art Bell yeah, show now. This yeah. is, <laughs> no, I just had to say that. <laughs> no, Mike, again, when you read the scriptures, what you discover, this account of Cain and Abel, is not an account of all of the children of Adam and Eve. In fact, I, I believe, and again, I could be corrected, I, I think there is a scripture that indicates that they had many and other children. And so the obvious answer to the question is, is that um, when you start with two people and they were told to, to, you know, to fill the earth, to multiply, be fruitful and fill the earth, and if they were able to live hundreds of years back in those days, uh, uh, then they could... Uh, procreate. Adam and Eve alone could procreate for hundreds of years. I mean, if you cut their life, whatever their life was in half, I think they lived to be six or seven hundred years old, cut that in half, like our life. We live to be 70 or 80. Well, you can birth kids up to your 30s or 40s, no problem. So half of our life. Well, again, they would have hundreds of years, two or three, four hundred years that they could be birthing children. And then you see the exponential growth factor, because mm-hmm. if they birth uh, children for hundreds of years, and then all those children live hundreds of years, and they all birth children for hundreds. It doesn't take long to have tens of thousands of kids. So the bottom line answer is, yeah, Cain and Abel probably married sisters. Yeah. It's like if Amway really worked. Well, you recruit yeah. two people. If Amway really two, worked, recruit that's two. right. <laughs> but I think that, uh, that, that that is exactly. Now, people are a little repulsed by that. And they say, well, wouldn't that, man, we've got laws against that. Well, the if reason. If that's all that's available. Well, and if that's well, God's plan. Number one, that's God's plan. That was all that's available. Plus, the genetic pool would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. Totally uncorrupted. Uncorrupted. Other, good point. Other than except sin, of Very course. good point. But yeah. total, no disease, no genetic defects. The genetic pool would have been perfect. And there's a possibility they might have even married cousins. I mean, in other words, somebody had to marry brothers and sisters mm-hmm. to begin the thing. But it wouldn't have taken long in their context of a lifespan. It wouldn't have taken long before there would have been thousands of people to choose from. And they would have been so far removed genetically from Adam and Eve before long that it, it, it just it wasn't an issue it wasn't an issue and so based upon the biblical account of all human beings coming from one ancestor and Adam and Eve that means Mike you and your wife are related by blood not only by marriage My, in other words we came from the same people now we're so far removed that it doesn't matter but we are related by blood now some people think well see that proves that that's just a story how can it all be that all these people came from these two people but the bottom line is um, uh, oh I guess it's been about 10 years ago it was a headline article Pensacola News Journal it was all over the world it was AP article I read it from the pulpit at Hickory Hammock and it said something like scientists discover human beings have a common ancestor and then it went through this article because of DNA research 
they were able to trace back and realized, and they said that they believed that we all came from a single woman who lived somewhere in the area of Africa. Well, that's getting real close to what Genesis says, mm-hmm. real close, because the Adam, the, the Garden of Eden, according to the biblical description, is right about Iraq, Iran, right, right in that area of the northern Africa, Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and the Bible says we all came from one woman. It and does science seem, says we all came from one woman. And it does seem like the more scientific discoveries we have, the more they prove the word of the Absolutely. Bible, not disprove Absolutely. And I always say it like this, the Bible is never catching up to truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is always catching up to the Word of God. Well, let me then use that to segue into another literal story, and that is the story of Noah's Ark. Uh-huh. People are constantly hiking up Mount Ararat looking for this wooden ship that has since decayed. It did... Did Noah really build this giant yeah, yeah. ark and put two of every animal on there and he <laughs> forgot the dinosaurs and why on earth did he bring the mosquitoes and yeah, things like yeah. that? I mean, did that That really could be a whole show. How much time do we have? Well, we've only got about four minutes okay. left. Well, we ought to do a whole show on that, really, okay, because I, I have a ton of information in my head, not counting what I could bring in. But um, very to, to do this very quickly, I wish that your statement were true. When you said a ton of people are hiking up Mount Ararat, I wish, but the Turkish government has forbidden it. Because what happened was back in the 1950s, we had some spy satellites and reconnaissance uh, uh, spy planes that were taking photographs of that area and across the, the world that showed an anomaly on top of Mount Ararat. Now, what's an anomaly? Well, Mount Ararat is covered in ice. Now, we know from the scriptures, the Bible says that the ark settled in the region of or around or on Mount Ararat, depending upon how you interpret the Hebrew words, uh, but but in that area, okay? Well, Mount Ararat is, I forgot how, how high up it is, thousands of feet in the air, 15,000, I think. Again, I could be corrected on that, but it's covered in ice. So you've got all this beautiful white snow and ice, and then all of a sudden, right in the middle of this photograph, is this huge black object, oblong object, appearing to be under the ice. And it's an an anomaly for that region. And so immediately speculation goes up, oh my goodness, could it be? Well, you see, Mike, the reason the Turkish government doesn't want people there is because they're socialist communist and they're atheist you know and 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 or muslim uh and and there are forces the evolutionary forces of the world the 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 intellectuals the evolutionists if that thing is uncovered and it is noah's ark that proves that's a huge proof that the biblical account of the creation and the flood is correct that the fossil record indicates a worldwide flood it's, Jesus referred to Noah. And so it's a huge evidence for the veracity of the Scriptures and the Lordship of Jesus Christ so you can see the powers that are working against it. And so there have, we have tried to send expeditions up. The little expeditions that have, have gone, they've taken samples of the wood, uh, they've, uh, they've been able to bore down, you know, but, but golly, Mike, uh, the Bible presents it literally. I believe it's literal. The, the evidence we have thus far seems to indicate that it's literal, that there probably is an ark up there under the that ice or the remnants of it, it would be astounding if we could uncover that. And my prediction is, is just before the return of Jesus that, uh, that it will be uncovered and will stand as a testimony. Because Jesus said the last days, and this is interesting, he said it would be like it was in the days of Noah. Now, now that's interesting, that Jesus would include Noah as a sign that he was getting ready to return. 
So I, I just, in my heart and my mind, based upon the information I have, I believe it's there. But the story in the Bible, you asked, is that literal? I take it literal because it's presented literal. And by the way, the preponderance, preponderance of the geological fossil evidence seems to indicate a worldwide catastrophic flood. Okay. So bottom line, you take the Bible literally because that's the way it's written, but you accept that some of it may be allegorical. I take it literal where it's clearly literal or where it is presented literal with no other uh, circumstances involved, and I take it allegorically where it's clearly presented allegorically. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I appreciate the answer to that question. We will do another show just on Noah's Ark. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And there's answers to this type of question and many others at the outstanding website of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. And that web address is www.hickoryhammockbaptist.org. And it is worth a visit. There's a lot of online Bible study tools, some Ask the Preacher articles, and some other great information as well. Carl, would you please close us in prayer? I will. Lord Jesus, I pray that this uh, show today has been edifying to those that have listened. I pray that it has brought people to salvation. I pray that it has returned prodigals home to you. And I pray that it has encouraged and strengthened your people concerning the veracity and the power of your word. And it is in your name, Jesus, the word of God, that we pray. Amen. Amen.